I'm Pastor Jeremy, uh, one of the pastors here. The Lord led myself and my family to the city of Nashville to start a church almost three years, well, over three years ago, we, we moved here, and our church, the Axis, just started uh, October of three years ago, and um, so almost three years old as a church, and I'm continually blessed, and I'm getting even more blessed more quickly as the Holy Spirit is helping us as a church become a church as we function together, bringing things into the light, loving one another, caring for one another, the church doing the work of the ministry instead of just the pastors. It's beautiful to see the church become the church. And uh, so pray for us this way if you're a guest. And uh, man, if you're, a, if you're a part of us, thank you. And you know how to pray for us because you've been around a while. Um, we are, uh, we're working our way through the book of John. So if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible... If you brought one, if you have it on your iPad, um, on your iPhone, or if you don't have one and you want one, there should be one close by, okay? If you need a copy of the Bible, there's some on this table on your way out, or there, whatever's in the pew, just make sure it's not your neighbor's person on your left or right. Uh, and if it's not, man, grab it. Let that copy be yours. Uh, you're welcome. It's an incredible gift. So go ahead and go to John 14. We've been working our way through this. Uh, book of John, which is a first-hand account um, of a man named John, not John the Baptist, but the disciple John, who wrote, a, he's writing, he's giving us his writings of how he experienced Jesus Christ, okay? So as he's, as he's walking us through these various chapters and stories, it's just what he recollects from his time with Jesus. So it's a first-hand account of interactions with Christ. This is incredible. There's two ways of handling the Bible, not just the book of John, but the Bible in general. And I like to think of it as this. We can read these words, any, any of these words in the scripture, and place it below us and let us stand in authority over it, making it say what we want to say, take things out of context, not study it carefully, use it um, as almost a weapon that, uh, that is used to uh, criticize or um, build arrogance and pride in ourselves because we get it right and we can, we can come at it as if we're the light and we're the authority over it, making it say what we want it to say. And we can take things out that we don't like. We can kind of add things in that we kind of think needs to be there. Okay? Or... I pray this is our posture here at the Axis, is we can take this text, the Holy Bible, and let it stand in authority over us, letting it inform our way, not wanting to change it. Just take it for what it is and say, this is truth. We're going to, as, as subjective human beings, we're going to let something that's objective and truth, and that's not popular to, to agree on today, that there is absolute truth, but as, as we as a church, we see this as absolute truth, speaking into our life and informing how we are to uh, understand ourselves and how we are to understand the creator of the world and how we are to consider our day-to-day -day activity and actions as humans on this earth. This is the authority over us. This is the only authority, written authority over us, okay? And so this is the way we handle this scripture. That is, I believe, a very safe way. And so I pray that you begin to see Scripture this way as well. So we're going to take this passage out of John 14 and say, oh, you know what? This is true. And because this is true, we are going to do our best to receive it and live in light of it. You with me? Say, uh-huh. 
Okay, good. Hopefully we'll get some more along the way. All right, so um, let's get to work. I, I want to pray for us, and then we will uh, jump into John 14. Jesus, would you please be with me as I do my best to encourage these people um, with your words, your words to your disciples. The night before you would die, the next day, you encouraged your disciples with these words. Lord, would you encourage us with these words? Would you speak to our souls would you, would you speak far beyond just our ears, and would you let our hearts receive you? Would you let our, our lives be changed by you? Would we leave having encountered the word of truth? Would we leave having encountered you and your spirit? Would we, would we leave changed? Holy Spirit, come and be with us. Encourage us. Teach us as we listen. Lord, give us power and strength to focus, cause distractions to cease so that we can engage in the preaching of your word. God, make this word save people. Would you save people from hopelessness and from restlessness? Would you save them to peace and comfort? God, do this. Encourage us this way. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I want to read uh, John 14, starting in verse 14. We're only going to begin tackling Scripture, though, uh, with verse 18. But I want to read 14 through 31 to set context, to kind of give you the story, okay? All right, so follow along as I read. Be encouraged by the Word of God. John 14, 14. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And here's our text for today, here and following. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you and me, and I and you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who betrays Jesus, another disciple named Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is God's word. So, the night before Jesus Christ is murdered on the cross, this conversation is taking place as he's seeking to encourage his men, encourage his disciples. Roughly three years, three and a half years have gone by. He's been with his men nearly every day for three to three and a half years. And he's going to die the next day. He's unpacking encouragement. It's been three times that he said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be encouraged as he's unpacking these last and final words that he's going to share before he is killed on the cross. So let's start in verse 18 and we're going to work uh, verse by verse and I just want to help us unpack this truth and, uh, and just get you to see a picture of Christ here, to get you to see Jesus for who he is even in this passage through his words. So he's leaving us. He's going to die the next day. And he looks at his men and says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This orphan here in the original language, it meant more than just what we think of as orphan. It, it meant a lot of things that are implied with being an orphan. It means helpless, unprotected, abandoned, alone, comfortless, friendless, abandoned. This is what this term meant to these disciples. He's saying, I'm, I'm going away, but I will come again. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you without a friend. I'm not going to leave you unprotected. He is a good shepherd. He looks out for his sheep. He knows those who are his and he protects them. And he's unfolding this encouragement. As Jesus was preparing his men for his death, he encouraged them. He wanted them to know that they were not being abandoned. And as I was writing this and thinking through this, I was thinking to myself, man, there's a lot of times in my life where I have felt abandoned. I have felt alone. Even yesterday, my car, I found out my car was broken into. You get that sense of like, God. There's, there's a lot of us who've been betrayed by friends and not just stolen from, from people you don't know, but it's been friends and family that's left you feeling alone, discouraged, helpless, and hopeless, without comfort. My prayer has been that you would even see Jesus saying these words to your soul. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He offers this presence, this comfort, this never lonely life to you today. And you can receive it. Just believe Jesus. And you get to experience this type of relationship with him. This comfort of being found in him. I pray that that's an encouragement to those who are discouraged and lonely today, feeling abandoned. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. This is such an incredible comfort. This is such an incredible truth 
that Christ is going to face death and live, and we will too. It's essentially Jesus is saying this, fellas, I'm going to die. But this death, it's not permanent like it is for everyone else. You see, I'm God. Death will not keep me. It simply isn't powerful enough. It's not as strong as I am. I will live again, and you will see me again. Not only will you see me again after my death, but I will see you again after your death. Because I'm God and you believe in the one true God, you will live again. This is what it means when he says that the world's not going to see him, but you will see him and you're going to live because he's living. This is an encouragement for those who are in Christ. Look at verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. In that day of his resurrection, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You'll know that your salvation is secure when I beat death. It'll be proving that my sacrifice for your sin was sufficient. It will provide you hope and faith. As he was looking at the men, in the, his disciples in the eyes, he's like, this is going to bring you comfort. This is going to settle your faith. This is going to realign your thoughts of, oh no, our, our God is dying. Oh no, in that day you will know. You will know that I'm God. You will know that I'm in the Father. And that's also going to be proof that your belief in me is going to cause you to live after this life too. In super encouragement to those disciples. He begins unpacking here. Do you see it says, and I in you, like me in you? Here he begins to unpack the Holy Spirit, the helper, as we're going to learn about here. Notice the phrase here at the end of verse 20, you in me and I in you. There's a connectedness there. That is a union where we're in Christ. This is extremely significant for the Christian to understand just how important it is for us to be associated with Jesus, to be in Christ. Now, certainly I'm going to unpack what this means a little bit more in detail. But every time you see in the New Testament where it talks about in him, in Christ, through him, through Christ, that's speaking of the union. In Christ, we have a blessed hope. In Christ, that's a union with Christ. It's not just that Christ is that hope. It's us being in Christ gives us that hope. It's us being connected with him. When you're connected with Christ, you receive all the benefits of being Christ, of being the Son of God. You become a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. This is encouragement for those who feel alone, is that you can be found in Christ. To be alone and outside of Christ is damning. To be together, comforted in Christ, with Christ, empowered by his Spirit, is abundant life. Being joined with Christ and not alone is essential to life, to eternal life, to hope with God, to peace with God. As I, I'm going to unpack a little bit later. My prayer is that you would believe this and that you would experience this type of living today. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. What's well, a big promise. 
So if you love Jesus, you're going to experience the love of the Father from the Father. So if you love Jesus, God's love is there. So it all goes back to Jesus. I love that. He's like, if you love me, you will be loved. You will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest, show myself to him. And here he's speaking again of the Holy Spirit, revealing who he is. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, a different disciple, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? In other words, how are you only going to be visible for us? What kind of power do you have to make yourself invisible to where only certain people can see you? Very practical question. He wasn't speaking spiritual. He was just thinking practically, how are you going to avail yourself where certain people can't see and certain people can? And Jesus answered him in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, who's he speaking of? Who does Jesus say we about? Anybody? The Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. The Trinity, I love that right there. My Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make, not my home, we will make our home with him. Yes, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, but also in the meantime, we're going to make our home in you. We're going to dwell in you. So yeah, we're creating a place for you. But in the meantime, we're going to dwell in you. That's how you're going to know. That's how I'm going to manifest and reveal myself to you. It's not the physical, external, but it's from within. It's within your spirit. And I can tell you, and those who are believers in this room can tell you, for those who are experienced Jesus, for those who are experiencing Jesus, we know that he lives because we have experienced him. I know that Jesus is alive because he's alive in me. He's made himself manifested to me. And it's not that I ate something that made me feel weird. I know my soul is at rest. I look at death and it's literally not a big deal. And I have been at gunpoint before in India. It was really weird, really scary. Another story for another time. I've seen death, okay? I've been right there with a gun in my back and a foot on my butt. Okay, been there. There's a comfort in knowing Christ because you can look at that and not fear death. That is not a result of me just positive thinking. That's a result of a changed heart whose comfort is in the promises of belonging to Christ. Can you say that Christ is active in your life today? Are you experiencing him making his home in you. You can. You can experience this hope and this peace if you simply believe Christ. He's coming to make his home in his followers, to dwell with us, in us. Consider Romans 8, 15 through 17, and you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Consider that with the orphan idea. And you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So how, how are you going to reveal yourself to us? And Jesus says, the spirit that I give to you, the spirit that I make manifested to you will bear witness in you that I am God and that I am with you and that you are not alone. This is the working of the Holy Spirit that we're given at salvation as he works in us, for us. Basically, Jesus says, you will know that I am because I will live with you and I will live in you. That's the proof. You will experience me. God is perfect. We're taught in Scripture that he can't look on anything in his presence that is not perfect. He certainly can't dwell in sin. Okay? But he dwells in us. How is this possible? God is perfect. He can't be in the presence of evil, and yet he says he's going to make his home in us. He's going to dwell in us. If you are alone outside of Christ, you simply cannot know God in this type of precious way, this presence, okay? He can't be with you. But for those who are in Christ, this union with Christ, we get to experience this presence of God in our lives. Now, how does that happen? You see, when we're in Christ, Christ stands as our representative in his perfect life because we are sinful. And he takes the punishment of our sin, the wrath of God that's due to our sin because we sinned against God. It is to be punished, or else God ceases to be God. He must punish evil. So he punishes our sin, but because of Christ, he doesn't punish us. Christ was our substitute. He, st he stood in our stead. So he lived perfectly to counteract our sinful life, and he died the death on the cross to bear the punishment for our sin so that not only did we have a perfect life because of Christ's perfect life, but our sin that was to be punished, Christ took that. He was made our sin on the cross and he experienced death for us so that we can live. So that when God looks at us, we have been justified, declared righteous, not because of our own doing, but only because of the action and work, the hard work of living perfect and dying our death with our sin on him and beating death, so that now for those who believe, they are placed in Christ, so that we have been now justified because of Christ's work for us. Now God can come be with us because of Christ's work. We have been declared righteous, and this is what makes that union possible. When Christ dwells in us, and when we dwell in Christ, God is now pleased with us, and he smiles at us, and he's comforted with us. We're comforted with him. So now the peace that once, the, the hostility that once separated us because of our sin, Christ 
worked to bridge that divide that separated us from God so that now we are now at friendship and at peace with him. Verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, does not keep my commands and my teachings. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus was simply being obedient to the Father. All that the Father commanded him to do, he did. He obeyed because we can't. It's so necessary for us to have that substitute, that representative on our behalf. He obeyed him perfectly. And this is a strong saying from Jesus Christ. If you say that you love Jesus and do not follow him in his teachings, you do not love Jesus. This is a very strong saying. Jesus can't just be someone that you respect. He must be someone that you adore and you worship and follow, or you do not love him. There's not a medium ground, a median line that you can tow. You love Christ and you follow him, or you don't love him. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, I'm present. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. This is a comfort for me because I consider, man, how in the world did these guys who wrote the Bible write it years after they experienced Jesus? And it's because this is true. The Holy Spirit has come even to these specific authors of the New Testament, these disciples, and encouraged them in the truth. He's brought these things back to remembrance for them to write down. But also this speaks into us and every Christian, not just those who wrote the Bible, but to all of us that we're going to be granted a helper to give us the power and the strength to live, to teach us how to live, to convict us of areas where we are wrong and where we need to repent and have him lead us and love us towards holiness, okay? This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus made it abundantly clear that his life was empowered and mediated only through the Holy Spirit. He modeled this perfectly for us. It was the Holy Spirit of God that nourished and sustained the transformed life of these 12 disciples, these 11 disciples at this moment, as they continue to grow in knowledge and grace even after Christ was gone. By the same Holy Spirit of God, we are made clean through the word and set apart unto God for life's own mission, on the mission of God. From beginning to end, experiencing Jesus Christ is only a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was God revealed to us, but the Spirit of God is God in operation, at work in his people. The Holy Spirit of God is the agent of God actually carrying out his plan of salvation in his people and through his people. The Spirit of God would give these disciples words to speak. He grant them knowledge of truth so that they could believe and know and follow Jesus and his teachings. He would grant to believers, this Holy Spirit would grant to believers the power of God to accomplish his work as they live lives set apart unto him for their joy, for others' salvation, and for the Father's glory. All this is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the disciples, in the life of those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 27, this is what Andy read to us in the opening. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This isn't world peace. This isn't temporary comfort. This isn't the masking of pain, which I think is at best what the world offers as its counterfeits. But rather, this speaks of peace with the Father, wholeness in relationship with God, soul peace, individual, personal rest, the safety and comfort of the Spirit provided to us because of our peace with God. This is the type of peace that Jesus Christ gives. Consider Romans 5, 1 through 11. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified, okay, made righteous, declared righteous because God acted for us, right? Jesus acted for us. He was our representative, our substitute. We've now been justified. We're now in Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance and our endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Be encouraged here. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for, love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified... Okay, declared righteous by his blood, by the blood of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross of himself for us, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He absorbed that wrath for us. He took that punishment for us that was due to our sin. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, back to God, shall we be saved from, uh, by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that is speaking of the restored relationship back to God, that friendship back to God because of Christ and his hard work for us. We are now reconciled back to peace with God, relationship with God. And that is what everyone in this room longs to experience. Though we express it and we seek it in so many different avenues and ways, we long to be connected back to the creator of the world, the creator of our own life, God, the God of the Bible. And the way that we can know him and, and be reconciled to him is Jesus Christ. Another way of expressing this truth is found in Ephesians 2, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Starting in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, so there's no union, okay? If union brings us peace with God, not being with Christ, there's still hostility. There's still that, that barrier that separates us from knowing him, okay? So remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope of the covenants, having no hope and without God in the world, 
this pretty desperate situation. Without God, with no hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, alienated, separated, have been brought near. How? Because we went to church enough? Because we had the right songs on our iPod? Because we ate at Chick-fil-A? Why? How have we experienced this reconciliation? But now, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, in him, that union, one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He makes peace and he kills the hostility. That's superlative type of peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and, pe and preached peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So much so that he makes his home in you. You can have peace with God. Not to where he thinks you're all right, but where he moves into your life. He lives in you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He loves living in you because of his son and what his precious son did for us. That's why we celebrate Jesus. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so vital to our lives. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we're restored back into perfect relationship and friendship with God. Again, this is why we celebrate Jesus Christ, the risen, living, reigning Jesus. Believe him today and experience this type of reconciliation with God. That's the peace that you're looking for. That's the hope, that's the comfort that you're longing for. That's the thing that if you figured out, everything else would fit together. It's not that new car. It's not that boyfriend. It's so much deeper than those types of things. It's not just being discovered as a musical artist. It's so much bigger than that. It's not just finishing residency. It's so much bigger than that. It's seeing Jesus Christ as your Savior and experiencing this peace and reconciliation to his Father, who is our God, 
That's what your soul is longing for. And you can continue going after it in every avenue known to man. And you will end up being empty, frustrated, burdened, guilty, and hopeless and helpless. The Bible said there's only one way that you can experience soul rest and comfort and peace. Where your soul can experience a true Sabbath. And that's by being restored into relationship with the Father. And you can't do that. You can't. It's only through Christ that makes that happen. So worship Christ. See him as your Savior. See him as the means of rescuing you from your hopelessness and helplessness and restoring you back into friendship and relationship with his Father. That's life. That's not just existing. That's not jumping as a frog from lily pad to lily pad, from high to high, from car to car, home to home, girl to girl, guy to guy, experience after experience, getting recognized to a bigger platform, a bigger stage. It's stopping the hop, and you you find your hope and your comfort secure on Christ, that regardless of if you're noticed or ignored, boyfriend or no boyfriend, job or no job, new car or no new car, motorcycle or no motorcycle, none of those things are bad. But when you place your hope and comfort in those, that's when you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to use those things as functional saviors. They're going to disappoint you every time. They can't sustain what the shoulders of Christ can sustain. And you can spend your whole life on searching those out, seeking those things, and you become a miserable, bitter old person. Or you can place your hope in Christ and believe him and be used by him in his mission to save us and others as people look to you as the man who can never, ever not be happy and joyful. You always find something to be excited about. How is that? How is it that you have a tumor and you still go to church and sing about how wonderful God is? I can't shake that. How's that happen? Let me tell you. I've got something in my heart that no tumor can shake. It's the comfort of knowing my creator through the working of his son that was sent as a missionary to save my life. That's attractive. That type of comfort is what I'd be looking for in a man. You hear me, ladies? Is a man who says that, who says, you're not my functional savior. I don't want to date you because what you can do for me. My hope and my comfort is not going to be based on you. It's based on Christ. I want to help you get to know him more. Men, that's the type of woman you want to find. Otherwise, we place weight hoping for fulfillment through someone on someone's shoulders, and that's crushing. That is antithetical to love. But that's the only love that our culture seems to know. Can I be connected to them so they can benefit me, so they can give me pleasure? That's not love. That's animalistic hate when you get down to it. Y'all with me? Okay. Where are we at? Verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. 
If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Basically here Jesus is saying, the Father has sent me and I'm returning to the Father. I have, I have completed my mission. This isn't the end. This is mission accomplished. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. His resurrection, his ascension were faith builders for his followers. They were to be things that just sealed the deal. And I think it's very interesting. And I think a very, um, for me, when I have faith-shaking moments, where I ponder, and I think I'm not alone here, where you just sit back and wonder, man, is all this true? Like, you with me? Like, man, what if, like, we're wrong? These faith-type moments, like, I, I look at what God has done in my life, and that's, that's secure. That, that's a comfort. Because I know who I was, I know who I am today. It's a different person because of Christ. But then I also look at stories like this, where disciples who rejected Christ at the cross, they run. They scatter. They're gone. And even Peter, one of the closest to Christ, betrays him even three times, completely denies, cursing Jesus. The night, this night, this very night, as we're reading about. So if they run and scatter and curse, how is it that they end up dying for Jesus Christ decades, some of them, after Jesus died. It's because they saw him. It's because they knew that he beat death. That changed something in them. They believed it so sure that they willingly brought on the suffering. That's why there's a change in behavior. Something, incredibly, something incredible happened to them, and it was seeing the risen Savior. So Jesus was being prophetic right here. He's saying, you will see me that day, and you will be encouraged. It is going to be a faith builder. You will believe when you see me. Verse 30, and I will no longer talk much with you for this ruler, for the ruler of this world is coming. Again, you can reference Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where it talks about the rule of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Speaking of Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the fallen angel, leading evil. This guy, he's coming. I love this. He has no claim on me. In my notes, do you know what my notes are here say? Booyah. <laughs> like, that's how I read notes, okay? That's, that's what like, gets, gets me here. Like I read that, like the prince, like this, this evildoer, this, the king of all wickedness is coming. He ain't got no claim. When I die, don't worry, it's not final. He has no authority. He has no power. He has no hold. He has no grasp on me. And this right here, I love it, is just Jesus just flexing. He's like, yeah, get somebody. He's coming. He ain't going to be able to mess with this. I love that. He's coming and he's going to bring his best. I ain't nothing. He ain't got no claim on me. I, I like that. When you see a spout between two dudes, when you see a fight, and one's like, man, come on, I'll give you five punches. Go ahead. For real? That man just said that? He's going to take it like that? This is Christ saying he's coming. It's not, it's not a big deal. He has no claim. He has no authority. He has no power. 
He has no control over me. Matter of fact, in a different place, he says, I, I laid down my life willingly. He's not taking my life from me. Let me just get this out in the open, Jesus says. He, he's not, no, I'm laying down myself. He doesn't have the power to force me to lay down. This is our Savior. That's a man worth following. With that power and confidence, I want to be like that man. He's resolved. For those who are in Christ, we have no fear of death. Sin ultimately has no hold of us. We will live again. So when you think of death, Christian, when you think of death, say this right here. Death has no claim on me. There's a greater hope than the fear of death. I will live again. That's encouraging. I love that. Verse 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me. You see that? It's, it's one thought. He says, I no longer am going to talk much with you for the rule of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. In other words, he's not going to command me to force me to do anything I don't want to do. The enemy. The one who does have authority and a hold of me is the creator. He's the one who's leading me and who I'm obeying. I'm following him. I will never follow the prince of the power of the darkness of this air. Never. He has no hold. God, my father, I'm obedient to him. This is God obeying. This is Jesus obeying the commands of God for us because we can't even right here. I do as the father has commanded me. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what the father said. We need a representative like that who can be obedient because we're not obedient. So that the world may know that I love the Father. I, do, I obey so that others will see I'm pointing to, making much of, glorifying in the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. My prayer is that you would believe Jesus Christ and his claims and experience this type of living today. My prayer for the Christians in the room is that you would rely on the spirit of God that's been given to you to live this life. Don't go at it alone. He said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. So don't live as an orphan. There's so many Christians living as orphans. You're not an orphan. You're not supposed to be doing this thing alone. The Holy Spirit is with you, in you. Rely on him. Depend on him. He is good for it. Trust in him. Quickly respond to him when he convicts you, when he leads you. Be quick to obey. Perhaps this morning there are some people here, and I pray that there are people here who are not following Jesus Christ, who do not believe the claims of Jesus Christ, but there's something going on in your soul. There's something going on in your heart right now. As you hear these claims, there's something in you that wants to believe. There's something in you that wants to respond. I pray that you feel that. My prayer is that you would respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And if, that, if there is something going on right now in your soul, in your chest, in your heart, in your mind, where you want to believe this, 
Odds are that's the Holy Spirit. And this is an opportunity to respond to him. My prayer is that you would believe Jesus Christ. Certainly there's no magic prayer for that. But there is a confession where you say, Jesus, your heart, certainly with your words, I believe you. I believe that you did live for me and die for me. And I believe there's hope in you. Would you work in me? It's beautiful. And you know what he does? He responds to you. He comforts you. He saves you. He grants your soul hope and peace and rest. He's so wonderful. My prayer is that you would experience Jesus today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for encouraging me. I pray that it was encouragement for others. Lord, um, would you work in our hearts now as we consider um, Lord, the Lord's Supper, as we, can, as we reminisce and remember your work for us in your perfect life and in your death. Holy Spirit, would you visit us? Would you change us today, tomorrow? Lord, we love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.